This is Aliens and Artists, a special chthonic Thanksgiving holiday episode. A deep look at how near-death experience situates in the anomalous ecosystem. I'm Stuart Davis. I recommend listening to this with your entire extended family during Thanksgiving dinner. Ask everyone attending to not speak or ask questions until the entire episode is played then Irish goodbye the whole affair before they can so much as raise a hand. In all sincerity, this conversation with Rob McNamara is easily one of the most gobsmacking NDE accounts I've ever heard. In his life as a living person, he's a Zen lineage holder, author of The Elegant Self and Strength to Awaken, and really one of the finest human beings you could ever hope to meet And if dying makes one an authority on death, you're about to hear from an expert. It's not something he typically shares publicly. We feel incredibly fortunate he's trusted us with this story. If you find yourself among mortals, there may be relevance in this powerful account. If you are a patron or a pluser, you will hear both part one and part two combined into one super episode. If you are a minus listener, you will hear part one then get exploding head syndrome and find boxes of sugared cereal that are empty, but someone put them back in the cupboard anyway. Patron and plus listeners, I'm especially grateful for you on this day. Pray with me. God, grant me the insanity to reject the things I cannot change, the absurdity to enjoy the things I can, and the wisdom to ignore the difference. Here for you now, Rob McNamara. At the age of 19, Rob died on New Year's Day, 1997, of a severe asthma attack. And I do mean died. Full cardiac arrest, no oxygen to the brain, a cascading series of medical failures that also ushered in extraordinary afterlife phenomena. He was kind enough to share this profound series of events with our site. Uh, I've had one kind of in a more classical sense, like respiratory arrest, no heartbeat, uh, needing to be resuscitated. Um, so I've been like dead once in that sense. Um, but my life is more or less littered with um, confrontations with death and dying <laughs> via, via asthma and suffocation. So New Year's Day, January 1st, 97. Sorry, just riding the emotion, brother. I'm on kind of a Christmas break with my girlfriend or her family. We're, we're up in kind of upstate New York. They just got a lake house. We went there to go on a ski trip. And we got there. And uh, unfortunately, no snow. (laughs) And we were there for about a week and just nothing, (laughs) you know, like wasn't getting cold. They had just gotten the the cabin winterized. Um, But what's interesting is I'm telling you, I, I walked into this cabin and some part of me knew that I was gonna die which is an odd thing to say. And historically, I was always chronically trying to 
take as the, the, the smallest amount of my asthma medication as possible. And I kid you not, brother, I loaded up on everything I had wow. <laughs> immediately. And I remember uh, calling my mom like the evening, right when I got there. And my mom's constantly checking in with my breathing. How, how are you? You know, like, ah, oh, you know, I'm a little tight, but, and she's like, well, you know, what are, what are you, what are you taking now? And I was like, I'm on this, I'm on that. I'm kind of listed out all the meds. And she said, you know, oh, what, what's going on? <laughs> and I totally, uh, it was sincere in the moment. In, in retrospect, uh, there's a lie to both myself and to her. And what I said, I just said, you know, I just don't want to spend the weeks, you know, struggling with my asthma. I just, you know, I don't want to deal with it. And that's what I sincerely believed um, when I told her. But there is this like somatic knowing that was um, mistakeable. And it's still, um, in terms of my confrontation and grappling with, with death, um, I'm, I'm in awe of the ingenuities of uh, uh, the instruments of the human being to avoid death and to deny death and to ignore death. But it was uh, a really interesting uh, opening. But I, I, I still can feel being upstairs in the cabin and just getting on everything. Like everything I had, I, I put it in my body. And, you know, looking back, it was like, I'd never done that before. <laughs> it's like, add this extra inhaler, add this extra pill, add, you know. Um, but I just went all out. And I think some part of me just at this deep level knew, you know. What, what ensued was like uh, just days and days and days of just slowly uh, suffocating to death just intense grappling in a way that I've never really experienced before. Usually my asthma attacks are pronounced and super intense in, in, a, in an acute way. But this was like a chronic, like, dude, your lung capacity is degrading in a persistent, ongoing way where I'm not like, I don't need to go to the hospital right now, but like, <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> and I was just really, really struggling in, in the, the backdrop of just more and more medicine, more and more kind of nebulizer treatments, more and more attempts. And, and I was starting to spend most of my time kind of outside just breathing. But I think I was also allergic to something in the whole region, <laughs> you know, not just um, in terms of my allergies, uh, but there is something specific to the cabin as well that I just knew. <laughs> you know, it's just interesting that I'd never really experienced before. New Year's Eve rolls around, and I am well. It finally snows, and it got cold enough where they could also do do some snow, like make your own snow on the slopes. And historically, like cold air and miasma are not good mixtures. And so I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, well, fuck, <laughs> like I can barely stand and walk and talk. How am I supposed to go skiing? But I'm still in this thing of like, 
I'm more or less okay. I'm tight, but you know, I'm okay. <laughs> and uh, privately inside, I'm like, man, uh, how am I going to do this? And it was the oddest thing we like, I bring my nebulizer and all my meds and it's like in the, in, in my ski locker <laughs> and I get up on the slopes, dude. And I'm breathing like a champ, zero asthma, no tightness, nothing. I'm totally confused, but I'm loving it. I'm like, cause I've been more or less like intense grappling to breathe for like a week. <laughs> and then to, to like, just get up on the lift and just kind of float down these mountainsides uh, with, you know, my love at the time and, and her family. I'm, I'm just like having the time of my life um, and really enjoying myself. I get back to a newly winterized cabin that the pipes are frozen. So we have no running water and everybody's been skiing all day. And so everybody wants to shower and people would love to have a flushing toilet. And, <laughs> but none of those things are available to us. And we spent like hours that night, um, New Year's Eve, just trying to like get the, get the pipes working. And they're just frozen solid. And we're breaking some ice that had formed out on the lake to like fill up buckets to like flush the toilet to give you a, the, the nitty gritty details. And we, but so we finally just give up and we're like, you know, we'll just, my girlfriend's uncle lived like 20 minutes in, in a town nearby. You know, our decision-making was like, well, we'll just kind of make do, you know, celebrate the new year, go to bed and we'll head over to uncle's place to, uh, to take showers in the morning. And so I'm back at the cabin and it's, I'm already descending rapidly so my my respite is like gone and i'm again i'm like on my machine you know and i'm trying to somehow be normal and participate with you know my girlfriend and her family having some semblance of a normal vacation <laughs> you know they're like constantly having to check in like are you okay like what do you need and i'm just like i'm okay i'm okay i'm okay You're like denial 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 and but it, it turns out those frozen pipes were a, a, an odd miracle that saved my life. The morning that I left, so New Year's morning, nine, ten o'clock in the morning, um, my girlfriend, her name was Brienne. So Brienne's parents come back. They had taken showers. They left early, um, so they came back um, and started cooking breakfast. And uh, and then it was the kids' turn to go to uncle's place and do showers and come back and we'll eat that was the plan and i get in the car we're pulling out pulling out of the driveway i don't know this at the time but as we're pulling away and this is of course pre-cell phones so <laughs> old school here nobody's got cell phones but we're we're pulling out and literally the brian's mom is running out of the front door waving her hands trying to, to get us to come back because the water started running but we didn't see couldn't hear we were, we were just far enough so like literally we leave the water starts running and that um, is the only reason why you and i know each other so it's this mystery of like frozen pipes 
you know, how and why, you know, in the precise moment that we leave, yeah. it starts flowing. <laughs> it's just weird. And get to uh, Brian's uncle's house. And uh, while I'm driving there, I have my first realization that I'm in trouble. And like, dude, the denial's thick, brother. At least for me, <laughs> it's so thick. Um, but I finally had this like, this break. I'm in the car, I'm driving back um, to her, her uncle's house. And this flash of clarity and sanity and an actual like uh, that that tasted like panic says go to the emergency room like take me to the emergency room like that washes through me and I totally deny it so <laughs> I like get on my nebulizer again like in transit <laughs> you know like uh, so I'm on a machine. I'm, I'm on. I'm on another treatment again, and uh, get to her uncle's house, and I'm better. And I've like a, that flash of panic and like take me to the ER is like has come and gone, and I'm back in this like very thick denial. Like I'm good. I just gotta focus on my breathing. I gotta relax, and you know I'll do another treatment and. Just more of the same. I uh, hop on my my nebulizer one last time at her uncle's house in classic fashion. The asthmatics know, like you're on your hands and knees, kind of just trying to create the posture that some air can come and go in and out of the lungs. <laughs> like that's that's me the denial of death is so thick. I'm just like, somatically, I've been tighter than this before and I've been okay. And so I, I keep thinking I'm okay. <laughs> and I'm just like totally focused and relaxed on my breathing, knowing that I, and as my attacks, you can't panic. Your body is panicking, but you can't panic. You've got to stay like absolutely cool and relaxed and open if you're going to make it. So that's me. And that's kind of the last normal kind of memory. Um, it ends right there where I'm just kind of staring at my nebulizer breathing. That's where kind of the near-death experience proper starts. The, the other thing that's interesting is that and also contributes to the reason why I probably both sur survive, but also survived with like my faculties intact because the brain doesn't do so well without oxygen for very long. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I kid you not. So Brian's uncle's house, if you go out on the front porch and you look across the street, caddy corner, that's the hospital. <laughs> oh my God. Like, Literally, you could look across and it's the door to the ER, <laughs> which is like crazy, right? So I'm that close, <laughs> which is awesome. So I'll, I'll share this part. 
my somatic experience, kind of the, the phenomenological experience is I'm on my nebulizer and I'm just focusing on my breathing and that's it. That's it. What my girlfriend and her uh, younger uh, brothers and sisters experience was something quite different, which is like so Rob started to panic. It's something to just note that my body, my language, my I'm off my machine. I'm asking for help. I'm reaching out and and they're freaking out. Then I I collapse and pass out. They watch me turn purple and then blue and then gray. And um, I've always wrestled with that. Like putting uh, my, my girlfriend and her, her siblings through that. Um, but I'm also like, like, where was I? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. And what was going on? But, but um, you know, some natural dissociative process, of course, is par for the course um, for mammals as we're dying. Um, but that piece, I've, I've looked hard and kind of tried to reclaim and capture, but I, I can't. It like doesn't exist in my phenomenal experience that I can touch. What did happen was just this radical emptiness that I, I call it like a, a black crushed velvet of peace. <laughs> That's the most ineffable, encompassing peace that I've ever experienced. Just absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing. And, and the, the, the way that I typically try to describe it is it's like your body is always efforting, you know, like that heartbeat is always exuding energy and the process of just perception takes energy, you know, and like all of that just completely falls away. And so I'm plunged in this like radical nothingness that is like absolutely full of peace. And amidst that peace is some, some consciousness of, of presence as peace. And so I'm just like hanging out. So I went from like focusing, breathing, the phenomenal experiences, like I'm on the ground just working it. And then I'm completely in this vast, vast, rich peace, um, like the absolute center of infinite peace. That's that's both what I am and where I am. And typical to near-death experiences, some of the commentary is that the the auditory channel is is one of the last ones to remain in terms of contact with with the body. The kind of more traditional body mind. For me, it's laying on the living room floor, um, and and I remember hearing uh, a siren. I remember hearing a siren. The spark of that sound. It was just a sliver of it washed into my consciousness, 
and it was like the last kind of conventional thought that kind of that sound like fired kind of the my linguistic kind of brain structures and i just said oh thank god they're here <laughs> but it was like just so momentary and transitory and then it was like back into just this vast piece that was kind of like the first phase of the near-death experience was this like radical peacefulness that just kind of transcended or superseded all things uh, in some way. So one thing that, I, that I'll say is that these things that I've shared thus far are like part of the narrative story and history of like this happened and then this and then, you, you know, and I'm jumping over all kinds of stuff, but like when we enter into this part of like the near-death experience proper just to just to name it because i think it's interesting and, and and i haven't come across any literature around this and or talk to other people uh, but the the piece that i would say is that i can describe the experience as a memory and yet there's also a part that it's still happening and my life seems to be colored with this paradox of both being alive and already dead. Like there's, like, let me recall and recollect. And then there's like, oh, it's like, I'm still, some, I'm still dead. And that, uh, that pertains to this peace and kind of liberation from form. But it also um, pertains to these other parts of the journey that we'll get into. Yeah, this is not an ordinary experience as um, you know, describing the skiing or the asthma or <laughs> the conversation with mom or, you know, like we're starting to touch into dimensionalities that are still phenomenologically active. To, to call it like a near-death experience that happened is both true, but this is the other part that I think is worth mentioning that it's still happening. So with that said, I'll, I'll transition. Um, and I, I have no idea how I transitioned from this kind of vast emptiness into this realm, domain of experience that manifested me in a body more or less like I knew, in a, uh, with beings that uh, were both entirely foreign and yet super, I guess, welcoming. And I don't know if familiar is the right word, but, but I don't like the transition between this like emptiness and this realm, uh, this other domain of experiences. Mm. I don't know how that happened, but I found myself in this, what I call a corridor. And the corridor has these um, gorgeous black and iridescent green colors that are, are wave-like in form and, and actually fluid and undulating in, in real time. I don't know quite how to describe a lot of this stuff, but I'll do my best, brother. <laughs> 
but definitely green. And it's the green that what I would say, it's like this, the source of like the, how generous the color green is when, when you look at like rich forests and like lush growing um, ecosystems, it's, it's almost like that color of green emanates from this color that's in the walls. <laughs> um, oh. And one time, I remember I was watching a movie, it was this shade of green in the trees that I literally, this would have been like uh, over a decade later, I literally was like, whoa, pa, 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 pause that, pause it, go back, go back. Like, that's it. <laughs> like something really close to it. But there's something transcendent about the this green that is important to just kind of note. And so I describe this corridor because it is the, the classic, it's not a tunnel as, as often described in the literature. It's, it's a corridor in the sense that these are linear wave-like walls with this incredibly beautiful green, I don't know, I don't know what the word is, effervescence. And above and below is just absolute nothing. So there's no ceiling, there's no floor, there's just radical emptiness above and below but there's definitely a freaking corridor <laughs> and there's definitely a turn up ahead an angular turn to the left in particular i'll talk more about that later but what's in front of me is four winged beings and they are kind of floating in front of me in kind of diamond shape two side-by-side perfectly in sync and two kind of above and below perfectly in sync. And they're moving down this corridor and I'm kind of floating in this body behind them. And the winged beings, I I tend to not use the, the language around angels because the image structures that angels, at least in my upbringing, in my sense, don't quite... Well, there's nothing, nothing is even remotely close aside from the wings. The, the wings are totally like these magnificently, radiantly white and de- most definitely feathered wings. <laughs> like, they're gorgeous. They are not moving. Like we're not flapping them to fly. They're just completely static just as we float. So like locomotion is in some kind of basic fundamental way happening irrespective of anatomy. <laughs> and uh, and their, their legs, they have clear legs that are kind of conjoined and sheathed together into a singular kind of encasement. But they're black with a similar kind of almost scaling like a a scale that's not reptilian in nature but like something like that from kind of head to toe no hair definitely arms that more or less are very anthropocentric in terms of our arms and hands but the feet and legs structures there but like this in this their skin for lack of better term this kind of scaling 
kind of envelops them into a singular kind of, I don't know, something. They float. They don't need to walk. <laughs> and I've always been interested in these beings. And most of the time when I start talking about them, I start feeling them. And interestingly, I was sitting this morning. I'm on my cushion. I'm in conversation, just kind of doing my, my usual thing. And I feel one of these beings literally inside of my interior with like the wings coming out my back. And so I'm, I'm being inhabited <laughs> by these. And it's usually not an inhabitation. Usually it's a felt sense around me, but there's some kind of ongoing growth and dialogue with my living version of Rob and these beings that's like unfolding that I'm inherently interested in. And it's like one of the relationships that I'm exploring, <laughs> you know, like what's going on here. And so just to kind of mention that, but these beings are kind of, they're, they're guiding me down this, this corridor. So just to kind of switch, to, so that's kind of the context of this phase of the, of the near-death experience. And once I kind of arrive in this situation, a bunch of stuff starts coming up for me. So the very first kind of thought sequences and realizations that unfold in this, in this series, when I discover myself kind of floating behind these beings, making my way down this corridor, I'm like, literally my thoughts word for word are, oh my God, I can't believe it's been 19 years. So unmistakably, there's a returning to that with which I'd never left from this broader perspective on life and death. I'm coming back to something that I'd never left, but it felt like I'd been apart from this for a long time. So I can both feel my like 19 years is like the totality of my existence that I know as Rob. And I can feel how long that feels. And I can feel like the aging in that. But from this perspective, I had probably been gone for like our clock time. It's like, that was like four or five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, ah, oh, like, that was like, that's a whole lifetime. That was like a couple minutes. Like, okay, you're back. Like the interior of my subtle body is like so easeful and relaxed and loose and open. Like the body's super perfect temperature, <laughs> perfect ease literally just hanging out <laughs> you know, just like <laughs> floating with these cats so that was kind of my my thing and what was odd and this is super interesting all these things i'm i can't wait to drill down on them with you because like when you reached out i was like yeah like if i'm going to talk to anybody about this like for sure <laughs> um for a, a bunch of different reasons but i was totally Rob prior to my life as Rob McNamara, who speaks to you now. <laughs> and that, it was just unmistakable, as evident as like, 
I've been on my cushion since seven this morning, so my knees are hurting, brother. <laughs> my knees are hurting right now. <laughs> it is just as transparent and clear. Like, I was absolutely robbed prior to my incarnation, which I can't, like, I, the whole notions of reincarnation are interesting, but in my mind, there's a way that I, I line up more on the kind of emptiness of self kind of bias of like, yeah, you come and go. But my experience is that a transmigration of a soul that has a name, that has a like very particular constellation that is preserved across the boundaries of, of life and death is that's my experience, even though like my, it does not make sense to me. And the paradox, and, and I used to talk here and there, I'll talk about this stuff. And it's like, when you die, like you fucking die. <laughs> and I mean, absolutely everything, absolutely everything goes. And um, like, I experienced that too. <laughs> like, there is no retention of any of your personality structure of any kind of idea. Like it is, you are so utterly gone and dead. That's so true. And there's this other paradox where Rob totally preceded birth <laughs> into this realm, like without a doubt. <laughs> um, so that just to kind of mark that, like, that was kind of my, some of my first recollections and realizations of like, oh, I'm back again. Oh, I can't believe it's been like 19 years, you know? <laughs> and so just the ease that I'm describing in the body is like this massively generous reality that somehow, I don't know how, enables you to be completely fucking destroyed and dismantled <laughs> to absolutely nothing and yet there you are i don't know it's it's cool it's cool that's that's my official position on <laughs> <laughs> and so after that realization i kind of moved on to the next thing you know, and i'm starting to be like oh well, okay like i'm dead like shit <laughs> and my mind starts to kind of commingle. Oh, like what about what about my sister? Like, oh, fuck! Like she's gonna she's gonna be devastated and have to live the rest of her fucking life with like her brother that dropped dead <laughs> early in the game, <laughs> you know. So I start to kind of cogitate in that sense, and this is a sequence that kind of cycles i have an inquiry and then like experience happens and i have inquiry and then like experience happens and my interpretation is that these winged beings know exactly what the fuck i'm thinking about and they're like oh he's curious about that let's let him have that experience one of the experiences that i had as i was kind of in between like me thinking about my sister as an example and me kind of realizing like I'm back and like, oh, it's only been a 
few minutes. <laughs> that there was this kind of ushering my consciousness, the body mind that was in the near death experience is it's still in the context that I described to of just kind of floating down, but like the experiential intensity has taken my consciousness elsewhere. And I'm, and I go into this like witnessing perspective that is more or less showing me all of human life. And the imagery is these little tiny bluish balls of light coming out of nothing and traversing across these lines, almost like a bead on a line. And like when it emerges out of nothingness, like that's birth, and then they're traversing across time, you know, one of them would just dip back down and dissolve into nothing. And but like the, there's just like myriads and myriads of these effervescent like little blue balls of people like coming and going. <laughs> and I am downloaded, uh, maybe that's not the right word. I am opened up and and there's like a realization of just how generous and how vast time is and how like small and like I'm literally watching an entire lifespan right before me thousands and thousands of life like oh okay oh and gone and (laughs) this one comes and goes really fast this one lasts a long time you know the difference between the two in my subjective experience you know clock time 20 second difference (laughs) I'm, i'm kind of having that experience of of time that you know kind of reorganizes things and then that experience happens and then i'm as soon as the realization happens i'm back in my body in the corridor but the inquiry into my sister and my sister's like one of my closest companions and like dearest friends and you know deb she's insanely awesome she was kind of a just a a reference point of like ah what about her you know um and, and i thought about others as well but hers in particular opened me up into this domain of um, experience where my arms started to extend and so this is the medium of transmission from i'm a body kind of floating through this corridor and now that body is starting to stretch and in particular it is definitely my arms and definitely my hands this is one of those things where like it's happening right now (laughs) but there's like a infinite expansion and lengthening and the consciousness goes out of the central channel into the arms and into the fingers that are literally extending and expanding infinitely if you just track consciousness then thus leaves the corridor context and is extending into infinity the visual perception is that there's this geometric kind of grid that underlies all things and i am literally stretching and hugging into all things so my my arms are extending into everything and it's definitely has this kind of like cosmic 
flavor to it, but there's definitely like a mathematical structuring underneath and within all form, which I, I find interesting. So I'm literally just kind of maybe hugging all things is the best way to describe it. But then like something really interesting happens and I, I flip from this kind of cosmic unitive hugging embrace that's extending into and as all things suddenly like i'm on earth and i'm not i don't think i was wind but i was moving through the earth's atmosphere just above treeline at an insane speed and i'm moving incredibly at a pace that is kind of unfathomable which is like but i'm nothing i don't know that's the wind like wind doesn't move this fast, but I'm like the wind, just breezing across these vast wilderness terrains. I don't know where this is on Earth, but I'm definitely on Earth. All of a sudden, that's happening, and then I come to the complete stillness, and I'm inside somebody. And the interesting thing is that I was their emotional body proper. The movement of feeling in their body was me. And I was kind of unified and at one with that emotional texture. And I could very distinctly look at and watch their cognition unfold as them. This kind of capped this inquiry about what about my sister there's this sense of oh even if she lives into her 90s it's all good yeah she might be grieving this for the rest of her life but you know she'll be back it's all good (laughs) (laughs) so there's that backdrop but then this one kind of is a different realization of non-separation and it's like oh deb isn't without rob for the rest of her life. Like there's no separation between you and her to the point where you are her most intimate felt experiences of being alive. That was downloaded. And as soon as the realization happened, it was like, snap. That whole cacophony of experience is completely gone. And I'm back in just a normal floating body mind, just kind of meandering down the corridor. And now I'm back with a, this realization of, of non-separation in, in a really embodied way of like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And uh, all of the communications are like, it's all good. <laughs> like, your concerns are totally worthy. And they kept kind of giving experiences. Of, I'd come back looking all good so let me pause there and i know um, there's other kind of steps that we can go and other kind of experiences but we'll have to hop on for round two brother be sure to catch part two of our conversation with rob mcnamara To hear part two with Rob McNamara, just click the link in the show notes to become a patron or a pluser. Right now, a patron is picking someone up from the airport. 
while a minus listener appropriates their best friend's synchronicity. A plus listener donating plasma while a minus listener tosses a puppy's chew toy off a 13th floor balcony. Look at that patron paying for the person behind them in line while the minus listener steals coffee pots from the workstation. I see you, Plusser, leaving your change in the vending machine, and I see you, minus listener, eating all your kids' peanut M&Ms and then refilling the bag with marbles. Patron sending towels and blankets to animal shelters, minus listener telling grandma that smokestack is how God makes clouds. Plusser out there mowing your neighbor's lawn, even though your neighbor is a minus listener who's watching Schindler's List on Pirate Bay. Patrons cupping their lover's privates like a baby bird. Minus listeners deconstructing the mating ritual of birds of paradise. Patron doing tonglen on David Attenborough's aging body. Minus listener playing didgeridoo in the basement of their mother's subconscious. That's true. Patrons and plusers, thank you for preparing this feast for days. Minus listeners, thank you so much for bringing a fruitcake from Safeway. If you haven't heard part one, we recommend listening to that first, of course. We continue now with his story. This theme, and it, 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 it recurs in near-death experiences in the literature that I've kind of read, but this notion of like immediate non-linear downloads of like massive amounts of insight and information that doesn't follow the traditional kind of learning sequences that we use kind of in, in this realm. Um, oftentimes, at least, it's definitely available in this realm.